From VT Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, can Vermont regulate religious schools? A series of court rulings over the past year has chipped away at Vermont's longstanding ban on sending public tuition dollars to religious schools. Now, the state has to resolve major questions about how to regulate private schools that get taxpayer money, with a new school year only two months away. Our education reporter, Lola DeFord, has more. Lola, tell me about Meredith Sander. So Meredith Sander is a Baltimore area-based educator. She's been a teacher for, I think, about 20 years. She and her wife have been thinking about relocating to Vermont for a while. My wife's from Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and Vermont is about as close as you're going to get to an East Coast Minnesota. So mountains and people are nice. Mountains, people are nice. It's a, it's open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, they have friends here. They love the state's kind of open-minded reputation. They're also very attracted to its natural beauty. So she's been looking for a teaching job here because they don't want to relocate until she has a job. And so she applied to a bunch of jobs through SchoolSpring, which is this website that education job postings go up on. And she, you know, got a response from Bishop Marshall. What is Bishop Marshall? Bishop Marshall is a Catholic school, an independent Catholic school in Morrisville, Vermont. Okay. Um, So she was really excited, you know, and so she starts corresponding with them about an interview. And very quickly she realizes, oh, this school is Catholic. So I unknowingly applied to this Catholic school. And as soon as I sort of started doing some research, my heart dropped. And I was like, oh, man, it's a Catholic school. And that worries her because Meredith is gay. She's openly gay. You know, she told me in an interview, like, she's been out of the closet for 30 years, has absolutely no desire to go back in. I, you know, I don't want to go through with this if I'm not totally transparent about, like, my sexuality and the fact that I'm married to a woman. So So she was, you know, worried that this would be a problem. She reached out to some of her friends in the area who were like, nah, nah, no way. Like, it's going to be totally fine. This is Vermont. No one cares. And I said, what about the gay thing? Right. And they were like, it's Vermont. Like, it's progressive. Like, it it won't matter. Like, just don't worry about it. So she writes to the school, just to be transparent, is like, just so you know, I'm in a same-sex marriage. You know, I hope that's not a problem. And if it's not, then I just want to make clear, I absolutely do want to interview here. And they write back and they say, thanks for your transparency. You know, based on what you've shared, we do not think that you would be able to sign an employment contract with us. Best of luck, which kind of shocked her. Sure. And normally we would think of that as employment discrimination, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like a pretty textbook case of employment discrimination. Of course, there are very large exemptions to these kinds of protections when it comes to religious institutions. Hmm. There was a recent Supreme Court case that took place in a very similar context in which the court found that Catholic school teachers, in this case it was like an elementary school teacher, could not sue for employment discrimination because this quote-unquote ministerial exemption applied. The Supreme Court is basically saying we consider teachers in this case to be like ministers. Yes. And they may have to adhere to whatever the religious school says they, they should adhere to. Right, right. And so that leaves someone with Meredith with 
pretty much no options? Exactly. Unfortunately, you know, I've been teaching for 20 years, and I think that I could have brought a lot of positive ideas and just with my teaching skill. And mm-hmm. I, you know, wasn't given the opportunity to even discuss that because it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered if I was teacher of the year, I don't think. So, right, right. Anyway. Plenty of people say, would say that that was bad, but it doesn't seem like there are protections there. So the question before Vermont is, if places like Bishop Marshall are going to start getting public money, are they going to have to start following some of these rules that other institutions do? So in terms of a school like Bishop Marshall starting to get public money, that's kind of what kickstarted some of these conversations, it seems like. How did we get to this point? Why did that change over the course of the past several months? That changed because there was a Supreme Court case last summer We'll hear argument this morning in case 18-1195, Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue. Mr. Comer? In that case, the Supreme Court found that Montana basically was engaging in unconstitutional religious discrimination when it excluded a religious school from a public scholarship program on the basis that that school was religious. And Montana had a constitutional provision in its state constitution, which basically codified this. And these constitutional provisions are often referred to as uh, Blaine Amendments. And those are basically a way of just codifying what we commonly refer to as separation of church and state. Yes, or one version of it, right? Mm. And it basically says no public money for religious institutions, right? This case asks whether the federal constitution allows the wholesale exclusion of religious schools from scholarship programs. It does not. So the Supreme Court found that saying a religious institution cannot access public funds because they are religious, that's religious discrimination. Right. And when you listen to the questioning, you can even hear one justice, Sonia Sotomayor, not to the fact that this would be a pretty big philosophical shift. Mr. Wall, are you claiming that what you're calling blame amendments, but that the Montana provision and all the other states that have one, that as a matter of federal constitutional law, all of those state constitutional provisions must be struck? Well, not the entire category, because I actually think it's a little more nuanced than that. But I am saying what the court said in Trinity Lutheran. Seven members of the court said the free exercise clause there compelled what two members of the court said in your dissent, Justice Sotomayor, the establishment clause forbade. Yes, we think the same is true here. There are 37. That's a radical decision. So we know that any state constitution with a kind of blanket prohibition on sending public money to religious institutions that's been knocked down. Blaine amendments have been basically knocked down and nullified across the country. Um, The open question is what that does for church and state protections that look like Vermont's, right? We have this thing called a compelled support clause, which basically says you are not compelled to spend your money on religious indoctrination or beliefs that you don't believe in. What Espinoza did is it established that you as a public entity cannot say, I'm going to deny X institution money on the basis that it is religious, right? That its status is religious. What it did not conclusively answer is whether or not states like Vermont, who have compelled support clauses, can say, all right, 
money can go to religious institutions, but not for religious purposes, right? Can Vermont regulate the use of these funds? Can you pay Rice Memorial High School in South Burlington, which is Catholic, money and ensure that it only pays for math and science and football gear, you know, secular purposes? And also, is that a distinction without a difference, right? Mm. Because there are plenty of people who would say, well, I don't really care if Rice says I'm only using this money on secular programming. All the money's fungible. It's still supporting, ultimately, a religious institution. Sure. And even if if they could make that distinction, how would they enforce it or police it? Yes. Yes. Got it. So there are two kind of big outstanding questions there. A, can Vermont enforce such a distinction constitutionally? Hmm. And B, if it can, is that enforcement going to be material, right? Is it going to matter? And then there's the separate but related question of whether or not you can condition the acceptance of these funds on things like adhering to anti-discrimination statutes, which obviously applies in the case of, for example, Meredith Sander. When we come back, how the ripple effects of the Espinoza decision could change the school choice landscape in Vermont. Just a quick message from our underwriters. Community Health is Vermont's largest federally qualified health center. Affordable, accessible, quality primary health care at Community Health includes dental, pediatric, behavioral health, and pharmacy services. With practices in Rutland, Paulet, Shoreham, Brandon, and Castleton. New patients are always welcome. And centers are open seven days a week at Express Care in Rutland and Castleton. Community Health accepts Medicaid and offers sliding scale fees, making health care accessible to everyone. Community Health. Your health is our mission. We're also sponsored this week by a new podcast, Bold Ideas from Vermont. A global pandemic has forced us to rethink almost every aspect of our lives. So where should we look for inspiration? On his new podcast, Bold Ideas from Vermont, host David Roth thinks the solutions are closer to home than you might think. Along with co-host Meg Polite and special guests, David discusses the bold ideas, grounded in Vermont know-how, that can help us not only survive, but thrive. Listen and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Go to boldideaspod.com. That's boldideaspod.com. Lola, can you walk me through why a school like Rice Memorial High School would be getting public dollars in the first place? What's the scenario where a student wants to go there and they go and taxpayers are footing the bill? That's a really good and important question. So Vermont has a really extensive voucher system, one of the largest in the country, really. And we've had a version of it basically since the early 90s, I want to say. What that looks like is if you are a school district, which does not operate its own school, and this is either at the elementary, middle, or high school level, if you do not operate your own school, you have two options. You can, like, designate another school and say, like, no, all our kids will go there. Mm -hmm. Or you can give families a voucher for those grades. Those families who have those vouchers have the option to basically go wherever they want, public or private. And up until now, if they wanted to go to a private religious school, 
they basically had to pay their own tuition. Exactly. But the change here is that going forward, now the same vouchers that would have applied to a non-religious private school can apply to a religious one. Exactly. Last September, just a few months after the Espinosa decision, a group of families sued Vermont in federal court, trying to challenge the state's longstanding ban on using vouchers at religious schools. This spring, the court sided with those families, but that didn't answer all the outstanding questions about how taxpayer money could be spent. An important piece of context here is that, I mean, the same people who have brought a lot of these lawsuits before the Supreme Court and won, right, are some of the same law firms that are now suing Vermont, right? So there's been like a concerted, conservative, very well-funded effort to bring these cases and shift constitutional law in this direction. So the, you know, the people who are currently suing Vermont over these issues in the wake of Espinoza, the Alliance Defending Freedom, the Institute for Justice, these are the same who have brought some of these cases before the Supreme Court, you know, in Trinity Lutheran, in Espinoza, that have won these victories, right? So these groups are winning these victories before the Supreme Court, and then they're coming to places like Vermont, but also Maine and all these other states to basically enforce them locally. Hmm. And that's what we saw happen over the course of the year since then. There's been this variety of legal actions in Vermont that have kind of aimed to really put Espinoza in place. Yes. Okay. To put Espinoza in place and then also to kind of press the question as to whether or not, you know, the difference between a Blaine Amendment and a Compelled Support Clause, which is what we have, is indeed a material difference or a distinction without a difference, right? Um, and one of the lawsuits that is currently at play in Vermont is is going to press this question directly. And recently, both parties in the case, so Vermont and the Institute for Justice, you know, they went to the Vermont Supreme Court and they asked them to basically say, okay, like, what do these adequate safeguards look like? Like, what could they possibly look like? And the Vermont Supreme Court said, that is not for us to say. Hmm. That is for the legislature or an executive branch agency to figure out. And then once they have a plan, you bring it to us and we can tell you whether or not it's constitutional. But it's not on us to tell you what that looks like. We can't answer that question in the abstract. So what happens now? Well, it will go back to the federal court and this litigation will continue. There's a possibility that, you know, whichever way it is decided, that is appealed to the Supreme Court. But there's a similar case in Maine that is also pressing on the same point that could wind up before the U.S. Supreme Court first. And that may give give us this answer. There is this kind of legal limbo that Vermont exists in right now on these questions which is fascinating, especially because pretty soon school districts are going to have to start making decisions about where they pay tuition, right? And they're doing this in the absence of any guidance from the state, the legislature, or the courts. This is all going to have to happen for this coming school year. Right. That sounds like a pretty awkward spot to be in. That's a very awkward spot to be in. So, you know, I look forward to checking in with school districts in late August and September and saying, how are you handling this? Uh, Because I anticipate it's going to be weird. Yeah. It seemed like the other moving piece that you've reported on is how much intervention the legislature is going to do. Can you explain briefly what their role would be here and what it seems like they're positioning themselves for? I mean, what's been interesting about watching 
all of these lawsuits unfold is how everyone is punting on the questions that matter, right? Uh, No one wants to say, okay, what do adequate safeguards look like, right? What does it mean to send money to a religious entity but somehow safeguard that against getting spent on religious, you know, purposes? Is that constitutional? Can you have your compelled support clause and Espinoza? You know, I, I, I talked to a legal scholar in Vermont, Peter Teachout at Vermont Law School, and he believes that you can have both. But no one in a position of power has offered an answer to that. The legislature talked about this and creating some sort of safeguard. So either A, putting in place an anti-discrimination requirement, and B, requiring that schools self-certify that they're not going to spend this money on religious purposes. They talked about that during the session, and they didn't do anything because, you know, their lawyers were like, eh, you're definitely going to get sued if you do that. Um, And plus, there was so much legal stuff happening at the time. The Vermont Supreme Court has been asked to weigh in. They've said... It's not for us to elaborate. You tell us what you want it to look like, and we'll tell you if it's kosher. Hmm. The State Board of Education, which has been asked to weigh in on one of these cases, also kind of punted on that question. So everyone is punting on this question. And now it's kind of on the legislature or an executive branch agency to be like, here's what we think it should look like. And so we'll see if they want to do that. Senator Brian Campion, who's the chair of Senate Education, has said that he very much wants to pick up this conversation again, has been granted extra funds by the pro tem's office to actually meet in the off session to see, you know, if there's a constitutional path forward. But, you know, over the course of our conversation, you know, he also mentioned like part of the agenda is wondering if there is a constitutional path forward. Like, how much are are our hands tied? So, you know, I will be watching to see if lawmakers do ultimately decide to put some guardrails down, knowing full well that if they do so, they will be challenged, right? Like, there's the only thing that there's no question about is that whatever is proposed will be litigated. Um, And so the question is, who wants to get sued? What about more long-term with this broader change here that it seems like more schools throughout the state are now going to be eligible to get public dollars, to get taxpayer money? Mm -hmm. How does that change things long-term? How does that affect sort of the overall school choice landscape in Vermont? Well, certainly this means that for now, kids have more choices, right? Or families have more choices. I think kind of big picture, this is going to resurface a conversation that Vermont perennially has, which is how much do we want to regulate the private schools that we send money to, right? Because we had a version of this debate a few years ago, and this was just about secular schools, but, you know, there's this big debate about how inclusive should we require private schools who accept public dollars to be, especially when it comes to kids with disabilities, Right. So we, we we have this debate every few years in Vermont, and this is a version of this debate, basically. How much control do we want to have over this money? What is the obligation of institutions who accept this money to the public good? Mm-hmm. Right. Like what what do they owe the public good once they get these taxpayer dollars? Right. And and how much might they have to adhere to anti-discrimination measures like would have protected someone like Meredith. Right. So this is a continuation of this debate. 
thanks, Ola, for the rundown. No worries. Hope that was elucidating, not too confusing. You can read more of Lola's reporting on the questions around regulating religious schools at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We'll be back later this month with more stories from the Digger newsroom. See you then.